Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the digital sales leadership and coaching platform that's transforming market-leading sales organizations around the world. Be sure to meet with the Exvoyant team at Dreamforce and learn how to transform your Salesforce system from the system of record to your system of action and improvement. You can find details at exvoyant.com. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth tactics and practices. Today, we are in for a ride. Today's guest has won awards as an individual contributor, and now he's scooping up even more accolades as a leader. He's the Sales Development Executive of the Year, a top 100 sales coach, an outspoken advocate of the sales profession, known to many as the true KD. We have Kevin Dorsey, Head of Sales Development and Enablement for Service Titan. Kevin. Welcome to our show, and thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to see what we get into here, my man. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Hey, for, for, for people that have their heads under a rock in the sales profession and don't know who you are, can you just give us the high-level view on Service Titan and just as important what you're doing there? Uh, for sure. So Service Titan, if most of our listeners are salespeople, it's like the salesforce.com for the home services industry. So we work with plumbing, HVAC, electrical companies, and they run their entire business on our platform. And it's something that I and the founders are very passionate about is like helping, helping small business owners. Like it's cool to sell a big contract to Oracle, but Oracle is going to be just fine. Like I love helping, helping Bob and Jim run their shops and make more money and spend more time with their families. So that's what we do. And then what I do is I run our sales development org. So all of our pipeline generation and then also the enablement training for that side of the house too. Perfect. So I love it. So you're, you're going and selling technology to guys that have just been like trying to do their thing and you're helping them use technology to scale. And that's gotta be a really cool opportunity to, to have a lot of growth. It's a lot um, of fun. Yeah, so uh, so that's where I want to go. This is this is the sales leadership podcast. We only talk about high growth stories, and yours for sure is one. Uh, I watched you move from where you were to where you came here, and almost immediately you started blowing things up. So give me and our listeners for a second to start. As you look at what is the the raw materials, what are the things you need to do as a leader if you want to have high growth happen? As you start to think about that non negotiable, that blueprint for success. What are your catalysts that you look at that you say are my non-negotiables? I'd say the first non-negotiable is a, a culture of coaching development. And I guess we call it the culture of excellence. Because if I can build a strong culture that has the foundational behaviors in place, that's the only way to grow and grow quickly that I can one, get my team to do what they need to do. But more importantly, like to grow, you need new people. And if you have a lackluster culture, it's hard to attract the people that you want or to get new people to come in. So I'd say culture is my non-negotiable. I'd rather have mediocre results with a great culture than great results in a shitty culture. Yeah, I love that. Peter Drucker was famous for saying culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Absolutely. So so culture's a fat word, though. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, 
I don't think it's just having an awesome break room. I don't think it's having a ping pong table, though that might be part of it. What is it when you look at culture that you say you want to make sure you avoid a shitty culture at all costs? What are those things that say these are our cultures that we defend at all costs? For sure. And I, I agree, by the way, like a ping pong table and a kegerator is not culture. It's a ping pong table and a kegerator. Right. So when I, when I talk about culture, culture comes down to behavior. How does my team behave? Not, Ooh. not what do they do on their break time. So the culture to me is do we, one, does my entire team believe in and practice continual development? Are we constantly looking for ways to get better, practicing and coaching, right? So we don't, we, I always have, I always will do a ton of coaching with my team and the team does a ton of coaching as well, right? They have to listen to their own calls and give feedback. So first is a culture of development. The second is a culture of communication and like it's starting to get overused a little bit, like the radical candor um, term. But if, if you listened to the way that I talk to my team and my team talks to you, to me, you'd think we're very dysfunctional. But it's actually more so that's how close we are. We we get after each other. I push them, but they push me. There's no holds barred on on my teams. And so I expect communication both ways. I'm going to tell you what I need, want, and why, but then I expect it to come back from you too. And when that gets built into a culture, that's what allows the last part, which is like the camaraderie and trust, to be yeah. there. The, Dude, the I love that, Kevin. Okay, so – so this is cool. Now you're going into a place that I already knew. Like I said, with you, we're just going to go, bro. I'm not going to try to script this thing. We're just going to go because everybody and their dog says, oh, we have this great communication. And I, most of the time I have to call bullshit on it because mm-hmm. I think people too often, they say what they think needs to be heard. Okay. Now, anybody that knows you knows that is not you. That is not <laughs> how you roll. Okay. But yeah. how do you keep the reps on your team from understanding your approach to communication and not just being okay with it, but like embracing and thriving in it. How do you do that? It starts in the the hiring process. So I tell people before they ever, before we send a job offer, before we bring them on, what the communication style is for me and my team. And I get commitment from them up front that they are okay with that. So it starts at the very beginning of like, hey, here's how we talk to each other. Here's how we communicate. We do tell each other what we're doing, whether it's right or wrong. Are you okay being in that sort of environment, right? So it mm-hmm. starts at the beginning. But then the second part is the reason, the reason, the way you get people to do it is by also being upfront with your communication. The way you show people you're not just trying to say what you think you want them to hear is by also admitting when you're wrong. So I'm, I'm the first person to stand up and say, I was wrong here or this didn't work or I messed up here. Or, I failed. Like my team knows. I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. And so when they, when they see I'm comfortable calling myself out, they feel comfortable doing the same. And then at the same way, of course, they know they're going to get that from me. So I think it's also encouraged by the questions. So they, they do know this. You can't, you can't bullshit a bullshitter, right? So (laughs) if they're giving me answers that I don't believe or I don't feel are real, just like sales, it's that second level question, that third level question of, okay, you answered the what, now give me the why, and then let's talk about the how. So we ask a lot of questions, my managers included. They probably, like, they're 90% of the time they like me, 10% of the time I'm sure they can't stand me. 
for all the questions that I ask them on why things are happening. I don't care what. I want to know why. So it comes back, I guess, to questioning, too. We question everything all the time. I love it. Okay, so your first non-negotiable is culture. And so yep. there's a few things. Uh, like I said, dude, we are going to have to work to keep this at a 30-minute interview because <laughs> I could talk to you for an hour plus, bro. Um, sure. Culture. So a couple of these things for our listeners. Uh, you started with a focus on development and coaching. Then you went to communication, yep. and you finished with trust. Uh, those three things look like really good ingredients for a high performance culture to me. Um, let's move off of that just because we could make this whole thing about that. And let's sure. go to number two. What's, what's your second non-negotiable? Once you've got a culture that's high performance based on coaching, communications, trust, love it. Next time I have you on in six months, we're going to pick that and just do that. What's your next non-negotiable? To, to grow and scale quickly. Um, it's a, it's customer knowledge and this is more so around them as, as people and personas, like how they do their job and what their world actually looks like. Because in order to grow a sales team quickly, you have to connect with your customers well. And so spending a lot of time getting to know them, understand them so you can put the messaging in place. Um, because I think messaging is still drastically under discussed in the industry. Everyone's talking about cold calls, cold calling's dead, cold emails dead, social selling's dead, everything's dead. But no one's talking about, well, no, shitty messaging is dead. I don't care if you're cold calling <laughs> or social selling. If you're sending me a bad message, that's what's dying. And so that's where the customer info and knowledge is so important. So I'd say that's my number two is you got to get to know your customers very, very well. That's an awesome number two. So now we're going to pause on this. We're going to sit here for a few minutes, KD. Uh, how do you, you've got a team that you've already scaled up to 30 and it's growing. You ain't slowing down. A lot of people won't be slowing down, not you. You're just looking forward. The bigger you get, the bigger the challenge becomes on how do you make sure your people stay on message? How do you do that? So we, we build it in, I guess this comes back to the culture. We build it into the weekly cadence of things. So my reps are responsible for listening to and scoring three of their own calls per week. This is not per month or per quarter. This is per wow. week. Plus nice. they, they score one of their peers calls per week, right? So they're doing that every single week. I get the notifications. Um, I use exec vision. I see all the notifications come in every single week where they're giving each other feedback and doing feedback on their own calls. Then it moves to my managers. My managers are responsible for listening to three to four calls per rep per week, right, and giving feedback. And then all that bubbles up to me. So it's built into our culture, right? This is just what we do. If you look at our one-on-one structures, um, like we have our one-on-one structured out already and like they're telling me their metrics, where they're going to go, what they're struggling with, what's going well. Two of the last three questions are call feedback. They have to submit a call in their one-on-one that went well. Here's what I did well and what I could learn from it. And then one that didn't go well and what they can improve upon. That's every single week, Rob. Like it's not, it's just built in. That's how we stay on message because not only yeah. do they have to do it, but their peers are doing it too. Like, I'm their, their, their SDR right next to them is also listening to their calls and giving feedback. So this is, this is killer. And I, I think that's a well-placed shout out to the exec vision team and Steve. I think they have a good product and they deserve that shout. So uh, yeah. I want to, I want to echo that because I think they, they have built a good tool, but, but as you know, the tool is only as good as you use it. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you got 30 and growing. Uh, 
I mean, you're not doing the one-on-ones with all 30, are you? No, I still have actually a few reps that report to me, unfortunately for them, not for me. I love it. <laughs> they, you, you, you can only handle me in small beat, like bits. You don't want me as your direct manager because I'll, I'll drive you nuts. But, um, I'll, I'm hiring more managers right now to fill that out. But yep. I, this is why, like, I guess around systems and processes, which I guess would be the number three non-negotiable is okay. systems and processes. Like our one-on-ones are structured. So, I have access to everybody's one-on-ones. All the information comes to me in some way, but then also because of the questions I ask my managers, they are asking the right questions of their people, but it's processed. If I had 30 reps doing 30 different one-on-ones, that's just a nightmare. You know, you can't, you can't scale without processes. Which is where I was going. What? That's why I asked, you're not doing all the one-on-ones. So, so, What's the anatomy? This is something that's come up with some of our other uh, guests that have been. I'm really interested. What's the anatomy of a kick-ass one-on-one? Sure. So the um, the way we have it structured is the first five minutes, the reps are reporting their metrics to me or their manager. So it's not the manager asking, like, where are you at, blah, blah, blah. The reps come in. If you ask any of my reps where their dials were, where their meetings were, where they are to goal, what their show rate is, what their qual rate is, and what their connect rate is, all of them can tell you. They, they are reporting that to me because I already know those numbers. I want to yep. make sure they know it. So that's number one. They're reviewing where they are metric wise. That's the shortest part of the meeting. The next is the why, right? Like, why are we at where we're at? What's going well, right? What is going well for you and where are you struggling? So that's the second part of the one on one. From there, we go to the call review, but then the last part of it is, okay, so what are we going to do to fix where we're struggling? And that's where most of the conversation should go. Sometimes the one-on-ones are 30 minutes. Sometimes they're 15 minutes. Like it's, all right, here's where we're at. Here's what's going well. We already know what we're working on to improve. We have our role play scheduled for later in the week. So we don't do that in our one-on-one time. And then they go. That's good. So one of the things that I, that I've found, and I'm interested in your take on this, my rule of thumb on a one-on-one is 90% of the time needs to be about the future and only 10% about the past. What are your thoughts about that? Um, I would, yeah, I guess I would agree with that because the, the past is where you are struggling, right? What's going wrong. But yeah, the most of the conversation would be, what are we going to do about it? Right. Right. Like I don't, I don't let my reps go down the the tunnel, right? It's like, well, this one call, blah 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 blah. blah. Like, <laughs> right, that's cool. You made seven hundred calls. Like I don't honestly care about that one. I want to know what's happened ten times, twenty times. So yeah, I would say I'd agree with that percentage. Ten percent of like what's happened, but then the ninety percent is what are we doing about it? Yeah. So I'm looking at you. So they report the metrics. They talk about why things are what they are. Look at the call review. What are we going to do next? I love it. That's, that's a really good blueprint for success. Um, you, and if you have that happen with every rep, is it every week that that's happened? Is it every day? How often do you guys yep. do one-on-ones? Every week. Um, and then also too, because it's structured, the reps are typing all that out ahead of time. So again, conversationally, I mean, you know, it's when you run on one, if you're just asking the questions and then they're telling you the answers, the one-on-one takes an hour or it's done in 30 minutes and all you got were the answers because right. they have to submit all the answers ahead of time. The manager takes five minutes to read the answers. And now we can talk about that, the how for the entire meeting 
as opposed to just getting all the answers. So they have to send it in ahead of time. Then preparation is massive. So, so you got a, you got a team of sales managers that are doing these one-on-ones. How much time do you spend coaching your coaches? Um, like, geez, probably, a, I don't know if a lot's the right word. We have, a <laughs> weekly, we have a weekly manager's huddle that ranges from an hour to an hour and a half. An hour of that is based on just like the team in general, where we're at goals for the month, new strategies or techniques, but then 30 minutes of it is manager development. So there's almost always a topic that we're going into. Like next, next week we're going into CAC payback analysis. So I want them to understand like why we do what we do and how decisions are made. The week prior to that, we did like issue diagnosis and prescription. So that's every Monday. And then I have my one-on-ones with my managers once a week. And a majority of that is on their development as well. So going through situational conversations or metric reviews and diving into why things are what they are. So we do at least two sessions a week on manager development. And then we try to read a book a month together too. Like sales manager, sales manager survival guide is what we're going through right now. We'll be doing cracking the sales management code next month. So just like that extra development. And I tell them I want one hour of their week dedicated to reading at the office, like in the, I, like you are reading at the office, hide yourself in a room, but be in that development mindset always. So that's, I'm glad you shifted to that. I mean, I, I want to make a note to come back to development mindset always, but I also don't want to finish your non-negotiables. We started with, we started with culture, two yep. was connected to customers, three was systems and processes. Anything else on your non-negotiables for a blueprint for success? I mean, you got to have upper leadership bought into what you're doing. So you can't, you can't fight downhill and uphill, right? It was like art of war. You got to pick one. Either you're going fighting down, you're fighting up. You can't do both. And so making sure that leadership above you is bought in is incredibly important. And you have to over communicate what you're doing. Um, And this is not a knock to a lot of sales like leadership out there, but especially in the sales development world, not a lot of people know how to do it and to do it really well it's kind of like this black box of like, yeah, just go get some SDRs and book some meetings. Yeah. So you have to communicate up what you're doing, why you're doing it and making sure they're bought in because you can't fight both directions. So if you have a great culture that helps, if you have, you know, like the development, the coaching, the people, the processes in place, if leadership's bought in, you can do it, right? I can go to Ara, I can go to Ross and say, here's what I need to do and why. And they'll challenge me always. We have a very challenge, uh, challenging culture is the wrong word, but you get what I'm saying. Like we challenge, we, we challenge yeah. think, think things through. And every once in a while, it's like, all right, do you disagree with me or are you just challenging me right now? Cause I need to go do stuff. You know? <laughs> and it's like, no, like I agree. I just want to make sure you've thought it out. Right. Which, is, so, yeah. which I respect, you know, and we frustrate each other, I'm sure all the time. But it's, it's those sorts of conversations. So that's it. There's, there's only four non-negotiables. You can't have any more than that. No, those are, I can't argue with any of them. I think it's, I, I think that that shows why you've had so much success really so quickly. I mean, it's not like you've been there that long. You came in and just, just started hitting it. So, so it's awesome. You know, I, I love that. So now I want to sh- go back to this place that we talked about. You make it a non-negotiable for your leaders to, to get themselves in that development mindset, certain amount of time a day, a week, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big move that I don't see a lot of people like. I get to work with sales leaders around the world, Kevin, and a lot of people talk about that. But at the end of the day, the, the, the thing that everybody seems to fall back on is 
hit your number. Go, you know, go work with the guys. For you to say, no, make sure you're carving time for this as a non-negotiable. What led you to figuring that out as being so important? Because to me, it is a non-negotiable. I guess it's very similar to the idea of call coaching, right? Everyone talks about it. Very few people do it. Yep. If you don't know what's happening on the calls, how on earth are you going to get better? To me, it's the same way. It's like, why would I want you spending more time with your team if you're not any good? You get what I'm saying? It's like, I why? Get it. Yeah, I love it. So it's backwards. It's like, oh no, you don't have time for development because I'm so busy with my team. Well, if you're not developing, then you're not good with your team. Is it's that simple? So. Um, I love the 80-20 rule. Most of my team and people that work with me know I'm obsessed with this idea of like 80-20, right? Of 80% of your results come from 20% of your activities, right? Yep. Well, if you ask yourself, what are my 20%? If you look at what is going to give my team the highest amount of results, what are those 20% activities? And my managers know it's one-on-ones, it's call reviews, it's role plays and it's their development. If they do those four things and do those things well, they're going to get 80% of their results come from those four things. Bam. Yeah. That's, that's gold right there, man. That is gold. Every single leader on this team. I think that that's what's so important, Kevin, is we sometimes get so busy. We forget number four, don't we? Mm-hmm. You know, we do. It's we just like, we don't make that me time. So I, and it's, I had a conversation with someone just last week because they, they asked me something similar. It's like, how, how do your managers have time to do all this like coaching and development? And I was like, well, what else should they be doing? Like if, if you, if they don't have time to coach their reps, what are they doing? And they need to prioritize it. I guard my manager's time. They know, like it never, every week isn't perfect. Sometimes shit slips up, but they can never come to me and say, I didn't have time to listen to my team's calls last week. They know that's an unacceptable answer because it means something else was on their calendar that shouldn't have been there. Love it. Yeah. It always comes down to role clarity. And, and I love how well you've defined the role of, of not just your reps, but of your leaders. Cause I think that's where we sometimes miss. We promote people into leadership positions and then we say, Hey, make sure they don't miss their number. But what I love is you've created this blueprint for your leader's success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just did the exercise. I had them map out their calendar. I said, if the, and we did this exercise together. So I hope I'm not coming across as like, I'm up on this mountain, like preaching down to them. Like these are very like hands on exercises that we do. But yep. we went through that 80 20 rule together. We said we agreed upon what those four activities, that 20% is. And then we said, okay, now go build your calendar. Go build it. Man. Build your calendar to make sure that all these things are there and you let me know what needs to fall off. Um, I can't remember who said it. It might be from the book, The Coaching Habit. I think it, I'm pretty sure it is where it says, so if you're saying yes to this, what are you saying no to? Hmm. And that was the other exercise is like, if I'm asking you to build your calendar this way, what do you have to say no to? What are the things that are on your calendar now that are going to have to disappear that you say, Kevin, I'm not going to have time to do this project you want because I need to be doing this and I'm okay with that. Yeah. My way that I've heard that, I love the way you've said that actually making them say, take something away. That's something that I hope that everybody that's listening to the podcast right now starts thinking about. One of my mentors got after me once when I said, Hey, I just don't have time for that, man. Mm -hmm. He said, Rob, don't ever say that again. Here's what I want you to say instead. 
just say, instead of saying, I don't have time, say, that's not a priority right now. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you like how that sounds, then that's okay. And if you don't, then you got to change your priorities. And so what you're doing with your leaders is say, okay, coaching, we don't ever say that's not a priority right now. Uh, mm-hmm. self, self-development, that's not a priority. We, we never say that. We say that's something else. Yep. Okay. Um, those were good. Now there's a few things that I got to ask you because I got you on my show and I've been dying to ask you. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yep. Okay. Number one, you have this killer reputation as one of the dudes that's the very best in our business. And I love our business, man. I think that you and I are part of the world's greatest profession. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you have this reputation as one of the very best training and coaching programs that are out there. Okay. So my question is, how do you teach your people in a way that leads to them actually doing it? Because you and I both know that too often what you're taught does not translate to what you do. Mm-hmm. So it's funny you ask that because it's a big area of focus of mine right now. I think what has gotten me this far is purely direction, repetition, and feedback, right? I My team does it a lot. We practice a lot. I do, you do not get better by doing and people can go up in arms right now if they want to, but you don't get better at making cold calls by making cold calls. You get better at making cold calls by practicing cold calls and implementing what you've practiced, Mm. right? That's, that's the only way you get better. So everyone's heard of this 10,000 hour, hour rule, right? Okay. So let's break this down real quick. If the only way you're practicing is doing a demo, and a demo is an hour long. That means you have to do 10,000 demos before you get any good. Right now. But the funny thing about that is that would have to be 10,000 of the same demo before you hit a level of mastery. Those 10,000 demos aren't all going to be the same. You have to, you've got to practice things. So we practice all the time, but I want to share something. Maybe a lot of people don't know is when we practice, we'd never Never is a strong word. We rarely practice the whole call. We, we chunk the practice. You're, man, you're yep. struggling with the pricing objection. So we're going to spend 30 minutes going, practicing the pricing objection. So that, that's how is the, the repetition and the feedback of where to improve and the chunking is some of the key things to how I teach to get people to do it. But then it's also the follow up. Right. It's great that we practiced it, but then you went out on the calls and didn't do it. That's why the call reviews are so important. That's why those fall into my manager's 20 percent activities. Love it. So the old adage is true. Practice makes permanent. And uh, and then the call reviews to make sure that uh, that it made sense. That's that's a great answer. Thanks for sharing that. Next one, man. OK, one of the things that I love and I told you we're going to talk about this. One of the things that stands out to me that I think you do as well as anybody that I've seen. In fact, I told you, I think you're a ninja at this, dude. You are really good at teaching people and doing yourself, helping conversations have a good flow and going in a direction that's really productive by the art of questions. And no one feels uh, interrogated when you talk to them. They just feel like you're guiding them through a process. How do you teach that art of questioning? Um, I guess, one, we actually teach it. Like, we yeah. actually teach it. You know, I don't know how many. Great answer, by the way. Great answer. <laughs> so we actually teach it. Uh, one of our onboarding modules is, is on questions. That's what it's on. And so we spend a lot of time focused on questioning because I've also found it to be the most natural way to sell, the easiest way to sell. 
And what a lot of people don't talk about is the most comfortable way for reps to sell. Right? Can you be like a, a bulldog salesperson? Yes, you can, but it only works for bulldogs. Most people aren't bulldogs. So the, the questions are there because you have to learn what to say. So like if you look at our playbook and our scripting, our value prop is a fill in the blank value prop. Because there's no way for me to tell you what the value prop of Service Titan is if I don't know what you need. Yep. So we coach to questions all the time. And then we listen for the answers that we want and then build those questions out. So, and a lot, I got to give props where props are due. I think um, Sharon Pearson, so she is a, I don't even know what her technical like title is. She's like an entrepreneur slash like life coach out of Australia. And she put together a course called Ultimate Influence that absolutely changed my views on questioning and sales. She built a lot of NLP things into it. And the course is built for like life coaches trying to sell their, you know, their seminars or their coaching stuff. But it crosses all all genres. And she her course absolutely changed the way I looked at questions for almost everything. Yeah, that's one that we'll have to add to our, our library that we have on our website. I, 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 I listened to you and I've watched you and I remember writing down on a piece of paper when I got done listening to you, Kevin, question marks versus exclamation points. Mm-hmm. And I felt like you, maybe more than any time I've heard someone really embodied that I'm going to have influence through questions rather than influence through statements. How do you have, so you teach it. If you, we got a bunch of people that are listening to the show now. And, and I, by the way, I'm grateful to everyone for downloading us. I'm blown away just how fast it's been going crazy. Uh, it's because we have guys like you, Kevin, but what they're sitting there going, okay, I love it, Kevin, but we really don't do a good job teaching them questions. We, we have like a few canned questions. If someone was going to try and make that something that they teach and got good at like you, is there any kind of a, blueprint two or three things you might say hey these are the things you want to teach when you're when you're teaching your team to talk in questions instead of explanations um work i guess one is setting the standard of your rep should be thinking what they're going to ask next not what they're going to say next so i think that's Ooh. probably where you got the question mark versus exclamation is the, the the what we coach to is what would you ask next so when we do like a call review and it's like, all right, they just, the prospect said something. We'll pause it and say, okay, what should you ask next? Now, what should you say next? What should you ask next? And so the questions we ask spur better question asking, but then two, we build our script on questions. So you work backwards and you go, okay, what do I want them to say? Well, how do you get someone to say something? It's from the questions that you ask. So setting the standard with your reps and asking them that question of like, okay, pause. What would you ask here is, I guess, the first step. And then the second, the, the second part, I guess, would be making sure you actually have good questions. So I teach something called gap questions, not pain questions, not discovery questions, gap questions, where you're taking, you take something that your product does well, that you know, most of your prospects don't do or customers don't do and you ask questions around that, right? So that's a gap question where like, for example, service Titan, we have great like metric tracking and KPI tracking for these home services companies. So what would be a very easy question to ask that starts to build a gap in their process is, Hey, so how, how do you guys manage like all of your metrics and 
KPIs? Like, do you have a dashboard? Is it on Excel spreadsheets? Is it like a lot of shops can't do it? I mean, how, how do you guys handle that? That's now, that's a gap question where it's not a discovery question of like, what software do you use? That's discovery. A gap exposes something in their current process. And now I've got something to ride with. And this is why the question next is so important though, is if you go right from that to another question, it builds massive amounts of curiosity because you didn't answer the question. You follow me there? I'm with you. No, I'm letting everyone take notes just like I am, Kevin. This is, this is awesome. So you said, how do you, and this is how you sell through questions. I wouldn't have asked you how you track your metrics and KPIs if I didn't have a way to do it. Yep. So now I'm building that curiosity. And so you expect me to come back and say, oh, well, Service Titan was designed to, no, I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm going to move on to the next question. My goal is to get you to ask, well, what, how do you do it? That's where I'm trying to go. And that's what, hey, why don't we find time to talk about this? There you go. Anything else? Those are two good ones. Think, teach them what to ask, not what to say. Think, think and not, you know, think what do you, what do you ask, not what do you say. And the second one is, what are your kind of key gap questions that you want to have at the ready for every call? Anything else? Because those are, those are fantastic. Um, the the last one is, it's the practice, right? So like we have sessions. I will say something. What are you asking next? Like you, you, everything has to be practiced. I, I, I think it's over. No one does it, man. No one practices these things. It's the only way to get better. If you sit in a room with me, right? So we actually, we do, we have flashcards, for example. We have flashcards with the problem, right? Flashcards with the problem. They're not tracking their metrics. And the exercise is you have to come up with a question that would expose that. So I give you a flash, I, I give you a flashcard and it says they have no tracking of their calls. You have to come up with what question would you ask to expose that in their business, bro? I love that. I want, I'm going to make some flashcards tonight. I'm going to make some tonight, dude. That's awesome. Dude. Dude. <laughs> now I'm going to give a quick tip, though. I'm going to give a quick tip on the questions. If we're not going over time too much here, is when you ask it, and this is something I got from Sharon Pearson that's just changed my sales career. You ask it, and then you have the leads afterwards. So if you remember the question I asked earlier, like, how are you tracking your metrics? You know, do you have a, an automated dashboard? Are you doing it in Excel? Some shops I talked to can't do it. Like, how are you? What those leads do is, one, they plant an idea of what the best way is. So hang with me here real quick. If you yeah. just ask, how are you tracking your metrics, and I come back and say Excel, I don't believe there's anything wrong with my answer. Right. So the status quo is okay. But because I planted the seed that there is a way to automate a dashboard, now when I say Excel, it's like, well, that's not as good anymore. So having those leads there establishes you as an authority. It lets you people know you know what you're talking about. It makes it easier on the people you're talking to, and it's another way to sell through selling. Now my status quo doesn't sound as good because there was something else there. So those flashcards I was talking about, it's not just, oh, well, how are you tracking your call booking? That's not the exercise. The exercise is how are you tracking your call booking with the three proper leads afterwards? Mm, that's good. You are a question ninja. <laughs> you are a freaking ninja, man. I love it. We, uh, 
We are. We're we're a little over, and it's it's so cool. I knew this would happen before we started. I we know it's going to happen, but that this is so great, man. I'm I, I I've talked about so many things. There's so many more. I want to finish with the two questions I have everyone give first. What would you say your your biggest sales challenge you've had to overcome is as a sales leader? Changing behavior. How do you do it? Who man? If I had the answer to that. <laughs> Um, the answer is not fire people, right? I mean, how do you get them to no, no, changing behavior is one, knowing what behavior you want. Two, finding the internal motivations and leverage of the people you're working with. And then it is, it's the teaching and coaching and training. Um, but it's hard. It's so hard to do. And that, that's by far and away the biggest challenge. If you think about it, Rob, how much of your time with your reps or managers is telling them new things to do versus telling them things they should be doing already? Yeah, you're right. You're right, man. You're right. That's huge. That's a huge one. I appreciate that. Changing behavior is the hardest part of being a sales leader. Okay. So you've already hit this a little bit. You've given us a couple. In fact, I want to make sure that we get all of them on our library. One of my favorite things about high-growth sales leaders, and, and we've had some good ones on here, they all seem to have this common thing that they love to find what's next and how do I improve. And so we're asking everyone, what's what's a book or two that you'd say are non-negotiables for a sales leader? You shared some great ones from Dave and from Jason, both of their books we need to get on. In fact, Jason's already there. What do you recommend? So I'm going to go a different angle here because it's where I'm reading on the most right now is I believe sales leaders need to be reading about learning, hmm. how people learn. That So earlier you mentioned about like how do I teach people a way for them to actually learn it and retain it. Yep. That's where all of my reading is going now. So my, my non-negotiables as a leader are that you read on how people learn. So I got, a, I got a few, um, for people if they, if they want to go into it. I, who knows if people will, but, um, uh, make it stick, not made to stick. That's a, that's a business book. Make it stick. The science of successful learning. The science of accelerated learning. And how we learn. I'd say those three as a, as a leader, if you're reading those, I, I promise you it'll change the way you teach your team. So back to that concept of how to change behavior, the way you change behavior is you got to present it a way that people actually can learn it. So I'd say those, those three. And, um, I'll give you one more. If anyone wants like an absolutely amazing, like mind trick book, Methods of Persuasion by Nick, um, Kalenda. That is a persuasion by Nick Kalenda. I've read none of them. I cannot wait to get into them and hit you with an email when I'm done and give you the report. Let's go. Okay. This was been exactly what I expected it to be. I expected (laughs) it to be fast. I expected it to be fun. I expected it to be most of all insightful. You did not disappoint Kevin. He is the question ninja. He has a black belt in questions and coaching. He is Kevin Durant. I'm sorry, Kevin Dorsey, the true KD, the true KD. Okay, thanks, bro. Just playing, brother. Just playing. I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for joining the show, and you know, happy selling, my friend. Happy selling, guys. Hi, everyone, and welcome again to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break it down, we answer the question, why did this interview matter? And this is one of the great interviews that we've conducted on the podcast. We, uh, we've we introduced Kevin, and I hope you kind of had fun with how I joked around basketball with him. But the reason why is this KD, this Kevin Dorsey, he is a straight-up baller. 
What an awesome opportunity. I don't want to regurgitate it. I want to get to my four observations, and I want to base it on his four non-negotiables. Non-negotiable one, culture. Culture is about behavior. He gave you three ways to do it. It's development, communication, and camaraderie and trust. Non-negotiable number two, you've got to grow and scale quickly. He made it very clear that patience overrated, and the way that you, you grow and scale is by knowing your customer and you do it through messaging. How good are you at messaging as a company, and how prevalent is that across the organization? Number three, what kind of systems and processes do I have? Systems are the only way that things take hold across an organization. The systems that he talked about the most were practice systems and one-on-one -on -one systems. Go back and look at that blueprint, and if you don't have that kind of a structure, add that structure. Uh, we had a different guest say that losers have goals and champions and winners have systems. We heard it again today. Uh, that takes us to number four. Make sure that your upper management is supportive and aware of what you're doing. And if you're just getting pressure, get us more leads or get us more sales, it probably means that you haven't shared what the things you're working on, the systems that you're developing are, so they can instead be more supportive rather than just questioning. Now, I have four takeaways from this that I think are really important for every sales leader listening to this podcast. Be observation number one, it's about behavior, okay? Kevin started and finished the same way. He said that the first non-negotiable was couched in behavior, and the greatest leadership challenge is centered around changing behavior. The question is, do you know what behaviors you need? The behaviors you need for your leaders and the behaviors you need for your reps. I love how he referred to the, uh, you know, when he looked at the 80-20 principle. What are the four or five activities that get you 80% of the results if you're a leader and make sure the leaders are doing those things? What are the four or five activities that get you 80% of the results if you're a rep and make sure they're doing those things? Make sure above all that you're teaching the concept of if you say yes to this, what are you saying no to? I have to intentionally say no to something else. Observation number two, do you have a continuous development mindset? Um, I loved how he puts his money where his mouth is. He expects the leaders to read at work every day. Uh, he doesn't give them a book and say, get to it when you can. Carve out time at the office to do that. Uh, everybody in the organization knows we're going to have one-on-ones every week at Service Titan. It's not just what we do if you're behind. We have a one-on-one. -on -one. We know what we're going to talk about. We're going to have a formula that will lead to our success. We are development-oriented. This is what we focus on. It's not something we do if we have time. We do the rest after we've been working on development, which leads to number three. Their development mindset is oriented and, and built on a culture of practice. I love the Allen Iverson rant where he says, we're talking about practice. Okay? Um, he said, I'm the MVP of the league. Just let me play the game. And he ranted and ranted, and when it was done, his coach, Larry Brown, kind of smiled and chuckled, and he said, if Allen had been to practice as many times as he had just said practice, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And I think that applies to our reps. Many times we have reps say, just get out of my way and let me sell. And the great leaders will say, we want to make sure that you'll sell well because we practice. And maybe the best line from this interview was when Kevin said, you don't get better by selling. You get better by practicing and then implementing what you sold, something along those lines. You don't get better by doing it. You get better by practicing it and then implementing it. And he said, you may have people to get up in arms, but he's right. Make sure you're creating practice time every day. You don't need to have one day that you practice all day. Build in practice time every day and then let them do it. Get better. What you'll find is your leaders will get better at coaching if you practice coaching with them, and your reps will get better at selling if your leaders are practicing selling with them. So build that. And that takes to my, fa my final point, and I think it's my favorite one. 
Metrics and managers are not for managing, okay? They are for mapping. Are your leaders using the metrics and tools to predict what the future looks like? Are we using our time with our reps to not beat them up about the past, but instead chart a course for the future? If you are future-oriented rather than you know, mired in the past, what you'll find is very, very quickly we can start developing and practicing those things that will change our behaviors. So let's not ever get into a world of do it because I said so. Let's not ever get into a world where we're just pushing, pushing things on people or flogging the forecast. Instead, let's make sure that all of our energy is around intentionally improving, collaborating on an ongoing basis, and predicting that future that every rep wants to have because that's what brought them to sales in the first place. And if you do that, you'll become a catalyst rather than a pressure cooker, and you'll become a legendary leader for every rep on your team. I want to thank Kevin Dorsey for his blueprint. I want to thank Kevin Dorsey for his passion. I want to thank Kevin Dorsey for giving us things that we all need to add to our organizations. Follow him, find him, and thank him. And as always, remember, don't worry. Because we got you, and happy summer. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.